We've been talking about monsters inside of us, inside of me, from that series, TV series. If you've never watched it, you need to sometimes, but have a, understand it's a pretty creepy show about bugs and worms and uh, parasites getting inside of people and uh, wrecking havoc and then uh, producing some pretty ugly uh, outward symptoms too. But what we've been talking about, uh, the monsters we've been talking about are pretty ugly also. The monsters of overstress and anxiety and depression, those things that start inside of us but certainly work out of us and create a mess from our lives. And this morning we're, we're closing out the series and what, what I'm going to try to share with you today is how you help people who are struggling with these things. Now, I've said this quite frequently but it's worth repeating if you're a, a husband, a wife, a parent, you have, uh, you have, you have kids, or you, you, have, uh, you have parents too, you, you have friends, you, you have in the past, or you are right now, or you will in the future, you will be trying to help somebody that is struggling with these issues. I, I've said you've, you have personally struggled with them, or you are, or you will be. But also, you are, you are in a, just in life, you are going to come across people that need your help. Uh, you know, we've talked about getting people to a professional, and I'm certainly all for that. But, but you are going to be in a position you need to help. We're going to use a lot of different scriptures this morning. I think these principles have a broad application beyond just anxiety and depression. I think it could imply, uh, apply to you're helping someone who's got a drug problem, an alcohol problem, someone who has a multitude of problems. But specifically, I think they fit these well. So let's walk through how do you best help people that are going through these problems. And, and let's begin with this word, the word lovingly. The word lovingly. Folks, if you know anything about Christianity and you have any maturity as a Christian, you know that the most important thing about Christianity is L-O-V-E, loving God and loving people. I mean, the deeper and more mature you are in Christ, the deeper you go uh, in love. We're going to look at some scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13. And again, I'm using a lot of different scriptures this morning, so you can follow on the screens, or if you're a Bible drill person, you can uh, follow in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest chapter in the Bible on love, and I believe it's the greatest words ever written on love. In verse 4, we're going to look at a few of these verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. The word love there, remember the New Testament was originally written in Greek. They had four words for our one word love, and the word used here for love is the predominant word used for love in the New Testament. It's the word agape. It's a tremendous word. It means an unconditional love. It means I love you regardless. It's an active, visible love. It's not just, oh, I love you. It's I love you and I'm going to prove it by what I do. Listen, when someone's struggling with these monsters, someone's struggling with anything, even if they're healthy, here's what they need from you more than anything else is unconditional love. And it begins, it says, love is patient. The King James uses the phrase long-suffering. Listen, if you're helping someone who's got struggles in their life, they're struggling with depression or anxiety, it's probably not going to be whipped overnight. And you are going to have to suffer long. You're going to have to be patient. Love is kind. Love is sweet and considerate. Listen, 
Someone who is, is struggling with these things, are, they are fragile. And they need you to be kind and they need you to be sweet and be considerate. Listen, you can have a Ph.D. in counseling and, and you can drive people off a, off a cliff. You've got to be loving. You've got to start here. Verse 5, it says this. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. When you're trying to help someone, you're not tallying it up. Hey, I've been helping you for three months now. When are you going to get over this? Or look what I've done for you. When is this going to, you know, when are you going to pay me back? Love is not easily angered. It's not rude. You, you, you're, again, you're kind and you're considerate with people that you are trying to help. And in verse 7, it says, love always protects, trusts, hopes, and preserves. I always tell people when I'm marrying them, I use this passage, and I say, you know, love protects. That means if the burglar comes in the house, the man doesn't send the wife in first. You know, hey, honey, I think there's an axe murder in the house. Go out in the den and check on it. The, the, the love means you protect her, but protect goes way beyond just physical. It's, you protect them emotionally and psychologically. You, you, you build a, a wall of love around that person to protect them. And I love this. Love trust and it always hopes. Listen, what, what people need from us as a church and Christians is they need hope. People need you to love them and to believe in them and, and to, to continually hold out that hand. I'm going to be here for you, and it's going to get better. And love, love preserves. What a beautiful thing. I always tell married couples, couples when I'm marrying that, that when you love somebody, you get to the end of the rope, you tie a knot to the end of the rope, and you just hang on to that knot. Love doesn't quit. And when you're trying to help someone with with whatever their issues are, specifically as we talk about depression, anxiety, these things, you need to have a love that is not going to quit, that is going to hang in there, and that's going to continue on and to be true. Man, listen, what that person in your life needs, that husband, that wife, that kid, oh, my family's perfect. Yeah, your family may be a disaster in two weeks. What they need from you more than anything else is an unconditional love. Uh, Some people I know in another state, many, many moons and miles from here, back three or four years ago, one of the adult children was having a terrible problem with depression and anxiety. They moved back home from college, and the mother told me that there were nights that she would sleep on the floor in the bedroom by the adult child, just so that that child would know, Mama is there if you need them. You need to hold my hand. You need to be touched. You know, and when I think about that story, that, that says everything about love, doesn't it? That love is just going to be there, and it's going to keep being there, and it's going to keep being there, and it's going to keep being there. How do you help someone best? Number one, it starts with love. You throw this out, everything else is purely clinical uh, at that point. It starts with love. Here's the second thing. Prayerfully. Prayerfully. Listen. Anxiety and depression can be a biological issue, it can be a psychological issue, it can be a circumstantial issue, but ultimately I believe that it's a devil issue. Listen, in heaven today, nobody is on Prozac. Isn't that great? (laughs) And everybody in hell wishes they had Prozac. (laughs) 
in the garden before Eve blew it, when everything was perfect, guys, you remember that? It was mutual, Adam and Eve. I, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't depression and anxiety. That came with sin. Now, you can be a wonderful, godly Christian living for Jesus and struggle with these things. So I'm not equating that. I'm just saying that it is a spiritual battle too. Colossians 4.12. Listen to this great verse. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He always is wrestling for you in prayer that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Listen, when you move in your prayer life, to a level of maturity, here's what you're going to find out. Real prayer, is, is, it is a wrestle. It is a, a battle. You're fighting against Satan. Satan's going to try to fight you as you pray more than any other thing that you do. Satan will let me read my Bible. When I start praying, you know what? I get a thousand distractions. And when you're, trying, when you're praying for someone's health, maybe their very life, their soul, when you're praying for them, that is a battle that you've got to be willing to get in there and do. All the medicine, all the counseling, you've got to pray. You need lots of prayer poured in there. Here's a verse that I love to, to share with people. It's Luke 18, 1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. When do you quit praying? When they go to heaven or when you go to heaven? That's when you quit praying. See, prayer for your family and friends and people you love. I'm trying to help this person. I've been loving on them and praying for them for six months. When do I stop? Never. <laughs> you keep on keeping on. You help people best. You don't have to approve of what's going on in their life, but you love them anyway, and you pray for them diligently. Here's a third word, and that's the word wisely. The word wisely. James chapter 1, verse 5. Great, great verse. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and let me just stop there for a second. I know most of you, many of you pretty well, you lack wisdom. I do too. We all do, don't we? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. Listen, that is the, the first phrase there. If any of you lacks wisdom, it, that's an that's a accounting, a banking term. He's saying, if you go to the bank and you lack funds, how many of you ever had that happen? Isn't that tough? Uh, you know, and all of us wish we probably had, at least I think everybody in this room wishes they had more funds. Uh, and that's not a sin, wishing you had more fun, uh, funds and fun. But that's an accounting term. It, it's, it, it, there's a lack in the, in the checking account or in the banking account. He said, if there's a lack of wisdom, again, everybody in here, Needs more wisdom. What do you do? You ask God. You read your Bible. You listen to wise people. You read good books. But you ask God to give you wisdom. Listen, let me define wisdom for you because this is great. Wisdom is doing life skillfully. It's relating to God and to others skillfully. It's practical wisdom. Listen, I went to, to, to graduate school for seven or eight years, and I never failed a class. Uh, you know, so it wasn't like I, you know, you're supposed to be out in four, but I was there seven. I, I was around a lot of brilliant people. I, I knew people who had two PhDs, people who had PhDs from, from Yale, from Harvard, from Oxford. PhDs are a great thing to have. That doesn't make you wise. Wisdom, now, 
Education's good. I'm pro-education for sure. Wisdom, though, is taking knowledge and applying it to life effectively. I'm going to help somebody. I'm going to help somebody that's struggling with anxiety, struggling with depression. I need God to pour his wisdom into my life. Every day I pray and ask God to give me wisdom. And I know what some of you are saying. It's not helping. It's not working. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not going to quit. Pray and ask God to give you wisdom as you help that person. I want to give you four things. This is not even close to being exhausted, but I think these are four wise things to do as you're trying to help someone. Number one, help them get the help they need. I didn't say make them get the help because it's hard to make an adult get the help they need. Now, now listen to me. If you took introduction to psychology in college, that is awesome. That does not make you Sigmund Freud. <laughs> that probably makes you dangerous when it comes to counseling people. Get them to the doctor. Get them to a counselor. Sometimes people have an initial aversion to going to a counselor or, or a psychologist. Get them to a pastor, a minister. We can some, a lot of times help them understand they need that. But help people get the help that they need. That's very important. Here's the second thing. Help them recognize their triggers and symptoms. Help, help them. Listen, as the helper, or if you're here today and you go, I struggle with anxiety and depression... Being able to, to start figuring out what causes it in your life, what causes it in your child's life, or your family's life, your friend's life, your husband or wife's life, is so huge. When does it start to flare up? You're in college or, or high school or junior high. Maybe it's around finals. That has a way of, uh, of causing you to, want to bite your fingernails. If you're a teacher, maybe it's when school starts. <laughs> For, for you, you business people, maybe it's around big projects in your life that are going on. Maybe it's just flat out when you're too busy. Maybe, maybe if you'll notice your kid, your kid's getting stressed out and anxious and depressed because they're going seven stinking days a week, and they weren't built to do that. Here's something I hear all the time. Well, they do well when they're on their medicine. Then they get, off on their, they get off their medicine, and then they get depressed and anxious again. Stay on your medicine. Stay on your medicine. What are the triggers? What, what's causing it? You know, Christmas holidays make people anxious. What is it? Find out what it is with them or what it is with you. What are the triggers that lead to these things happening in your life? And, and the symptoms. I mentioned the word symptoms. Do, do you recognize the symptoms in someone's life? Now, listen, this is so important. That book list that we gave you on that pink or whatever color card it is. Uh, by the way, all those books are going to be available in our church library. But th there's some great things about trying to understand and recognize these things. Several years ago, Cindy and I have some friends in Texas, and, and the wife said, my husband, he doesn't want to go anywhere. All he wants to do is stay at home. He doesn't want to be around anybody, and he's really grouchy. Bingo. You know what he is? He's depressed. He is depressed. Eating patterns. Somebody gets depressed, they, a lot of times they don't want to eat at all. 
I've got the other thing. I get depressed. I want to go to the blue, you know, break in the bluebell factory down there. But those are both symptoms. Sleep patterns. Sometimes people are depressed. All they want to do is sleep. Some other people can't sleep at all. When you see someone who's normally an extrovert, who never wants to go anywhere, they want to stay in. Again, they're more grouchy. They're more negative. Don't want to be around people. That may be a passing phase. It may be a very clear sign that they're struggling with anxiety and depression. Men sometimes are harder to figure out. But ladies, if your husband is more to himself and he's a little more grouchy, watch that because honestly that is a, that's a sign uh, that he may be struggling with some of those things. Pay attention. Recognize the stressors and the symptoms in your life, but certainly in the lives of the people that you love and are trying to help. Here's a third thing of wisdom. Know when to push and when to back off. Know when to push and when to back off. If, if, you're, if you're trying to help somebody that's struggling with these monsters, there are times when you might need to say, we've got to go to church. We've got to go to the doctor. You've got to take your medicines. We've got to get you to counseling. You, you, you've got to gently know when to push. Now, listen, here's some phrases. Don't ever use these with people. I'll pull yourself up by your bootstraps. What's wrong with you? What do you got to be depressed about? Look at all your blessings. Why are you nervous? Everything's great. That makes a person go into a tailspin. That, if someone's really depressed or anxious, that, that's not going to help. But you do know, need to know, when do, you, when do you push a little bit? And when do you back off? Sometimes you just need to give people space. And that's part of wisdom, knowing when to do those things and when not to do them. And here's the last wisdom point I want to give you. Point them to Jesus. Man, 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 man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, 2 Corinthians 1, 9, listen to what God says through Paul. Paul says, indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Paul said, I felt like we were going to die. But all this happened, he's looking back in retrospect, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul said this as a devout Christian man. God allowed some of these terrible things to happen in my life so I would be more dependent on him. Let me speak to you depressed people and anxious people first. God may be allowing this to happen to get you to sell yourself out to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, he may be allowing this pressure to stay in your life to get you to give your life to Christ. You're helping that person. You're helping that family member. You're helping that friend. Man, get them to a doctor. Help them get counseling. But point them to Jesus Christ. Listen, it'd be better to struggle with anxiety and depression and end up saved than to live healthy and die and go to hell. And and if it takes that to get you saved, great. But you, as the helper, you're always trying to get people to Jesus. Does that make sense? You're always trying to get people to Jesus and to stay with Jesus. Now, I want to give you one last point this morning, and that's the word you, Y-O-U. We've talked about what you need to do to help them. Now I want to talk about what you need to do for you. And here's the first thing. You are not God. Did I just surprise any of you? Well, wait a second. That's offensive. I hope it's not. 
What do I mean when I say that? I'm not trying to be ugly or mean. I'm, I, that is the truth. You're not. But a lot of times, if you're a loving, caring person, you want to help people. You want to do everything you can to heal them and make them well. And the last I, I saw, we had a picnic at the park. None, none of you walked on water. And if you think that I could go get a Big Mac and, and you could bring it back here and feed all of us with one Big Mac, I'm sending someone to get the Big Mac right now. You're not God. Now, this is freeing. It should be freeing. You see, unless a person is willing to go to God or they're willing to help themselves, even God himself doesn't help. Remember last week in John chapter 5, Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? You can't heal somebody. You're God's hands and feet to love them, to pray for them, to do everything you can to point them to Christ and to point them to healing. You can't heal somebody. You're not God. That's a good thing to understand that. Bob Patterson's a dear friend of mine. Bob Patterson's told me uh, on several occasions, Bob said, Chris, you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's a good word, isn't it? It's tough for me to admit Bob was right, but he was right on that, that, that I don't have to and you don't have to either. You're not God. Now, here's the second part of this, you and God. Now, what I'm, I'm going to try to talk about here in the next point or two is that you have got to keep focus on you in the midst of, of, of your caring for somebody. You have got to maintain your relationship and your walk with God as you help other people. Are you are going to sink? You say, well, they won't come to church with me. Leave them at home and come to church. They won't pray or read their Bible with me anymore. You pray and you read your Bible. Well, they're not interested in the things of God anymore. You stay focused on Jesus. Matthew 6, it says, Seek first your family. Seek first sports. Seek first your job. Seek first money. No, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then everything else will fit in the package like it is supposed to. When you are helping people, and some of you parents with young kids, you will be doing this at some point. You will be doing this at some point. You have got to make sure you and God stay strong all the time. And here's the last thing I want to say to you. You've got to stay healthy and distinct as a person. Starts with you and God. You're going to keep your relationship with God strong, but then also you have got to make sure that you stay healthy and distinct as a person, that, that you have boundaries around you. you. Hopefully you have boundaries physically that you don't let anybody and everybody touch you and get into your personal space, but you need emotional boundaries that protect your heart and your mind. Let me give you some examples. About the time I had to take my sabbatical, I was not doing this well. And I had two friends. One's a pastor friend in another state. Another friend doesn't live in Ruston either. The same day they called me, one of them, the pastor friend, his church just went upside down. I mean, it was bad. It was a bad deal. And he was heartbroken. And I talked to him about an hour. And then right after that, I talked to this other person for about an hour and a half, whose marriage, thank goodness, both of them are in good shape now, but his marriage was upside down. 
And I went home that evening and I told Cindy, I said, man, I am just, I am just drained and beaten by their burdens. Now, it was good that I was loving and kind, but I, I wasn't meant to carry those like I was carrying them. And neither are you. Let me give you another example. Let's talk about a medical doctor. You don't want your doctor to be cold, do you? I mean, you don't want to come in the, the doctor's office, you've got an arrow in your head, and the doctor says, oh, that's no big deal. I've seen arrows in people's heads. Quit being a baby. He says, okay, doc, let me put this arrow in your head, and then we'll talk about it, right? You want your doctor to be loving and sympathetic and caring, but you don't want your doctor carrying all of his patient's burdens. Think about this. You go to the doctor this next week, and you, you, you've got a cold or something. And the doctor comes in, and they're like, hey, how's it going? Man, said, doc, what's wrong? I mean, you, all, you feel better now just looking at them. So, well, I just, I got two people I just left who had the flu, two have the stomach virus. Man, I'm just so burdened. I don't know what to do. I'm just broken about them. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can help you, but what's wrong with you? I'll try to help you. And and goodness gracious. I mean, you want your doctor to be loving and caring and sympathetic, but you want your doctor to also be able to leave you and to be able to go to the next patient with with a full intact mental and psychological capacity to be able to help them. You want to be sympathetic and empathetic. Many of us aren't that. We're not kind enough. God, forgive us. You need to be kind and sympathetic, but you have also got to separate yourself. You say, well, it's my kid. It's my husband or my wife. You are, you are distinct from them as a person. You have to protect your heart and your mind. Yes, you can, you can be burdened. That's why we pray. You love them. You do everything you can to help them, but you can't heal them. If you've ever flown on an airplane, and many of you have... The third time you fly on a plane, you don't listen anymore, but the first and second you do. And so you remember what I'm talking about. When the waitress, waitress, stewardess gets up there and she starts her spiel, and she, one of the things she says, if the oxygen mask fall and you have a child near you or a child with you, you put the mask on who first? Common sense says, I put it on my kid because I love my kid. I don't want my kid to die. I'm going to put it on my kid. That's not the way it is. You put the mask on you first. Because if you die, you and the kid die. So you have to make sure you're okay to be able to help them. Is this making sense? You've got to remain healthy spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. You've got to love people, but you've got to have emotional boundaries that protect your heart and your mind as you help them. I want to give you one last verse that I think sums up our series. It's Philippians 4.13. I want you to read this. In the first service, we had to do it three times because they weren't doing well. Don't make me have to repeat this, okay? Read this with me. It wasn't great unison. Let's try it. Let's try it. I'll get us started. You ready? I. Let me give you a great word. You're struggling with anxiety and depression. With Jesus Christ, you can make it through it. Isn't that awesome? 
Listen, you need to memorize this. I can do all things to Christ. You say, well, I'm helping this person, my husband, my wife, my kid, my parent, my friends. And it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's wearing me out. You can do it successfully with the help of Jesus Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we'll let Christ help us. Will you pray with me? This morning, if you're a Christian, I'm going to challenge you, and I want to challenge you now to do whatever you need to do to be wise, to be the helper, to be the person, the Christian you need to do and to be. And if you're not a Christian, I want to challenge you, if you're ready today to give your life to Christ, I want to ask you to pray with me where you're seated and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And today, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in a moment and give you a chance to respond to God. You've got to. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart, or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come this morning? Would you leave your seat and come talk to a minister and solidify that decision? Maybe you're here today and you're ready to join our church. Some of you, you need to do that. You need a church family. You need a church home. One way you can join today when we stand is you can come. There'll be ministers down front. We'll help you with that. But join us today. Christian, maybe you want to come and pray with a minister or pray at the altar for yourself or for that family member, that person that you're trying to help. God wants to help. It's your time right now to let him. Let's stand. God.